Acts chapter 8. Well, up in chapters 2 through 7 of Acts, we've seen the, the preaching of the gospel. Jesus said that to the disciples in Acts 1.8, what did he say to you? Hey, wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit will fall upon you. And when the Holy Spirit falls upon you, you will be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, then Judea, which was the outer surrounding areas of Jerusalem, then Samaria, which was up north, and you didn't want to mess with Samaritans because they were half-free Jews and there was a lot of racial tension there. So you're going to go right where you're, you're comfortable. You're going to go out from there. You're going to go to places you don't want to go. You wouldn't, wouldn't be culturally acceptable. And then the uttermost parts of the earth. And so chapters 2 through 7, we see that. And then pivotally, we see in chapter 7, this guy named Stephen, who is martyred. And from there, after chapter 7, a great persecution breaks out. In chapters 8 and 9, we see it spreading out from Jerusalem to Samaria, to Gaza, Ethiopia, all these other areas. And it was the result of persecution. Persecution. How many of you uh, would do anything not to be persecuted? You avoid persecution. I avoid... How many people like it when people don't like you? Some of you enjoy that. I know you do. You thrive off of it. But, but when it comes to dragging your family out of your house and separating you from your kids and the people that you love for the name of Jesus, how many of you uh, would rather have that cup pass from you? I think we would all say I would, I would rather not have that happen in my life. We see in chapter 8 that because of this persecution that happened in the church, the disciples were scattered. They got kicked out of their homes. They had to go all, these, all, all over the world. If you remember in Genesis, God's plan all along was never to have a centralized, local church. What did he say to Adam? Be fruitful and multiply and habit the earth. And his, his, his idea from the very beginning was that his image, his glory, his message, his kingdom would be spread through us, mankind, throughout the whole earth. And so we see it happening again with the second Adam in the garden, so to speak. His death. And then he spreads out through his disciples and now it is getting on fire and it's going all over the place. But uh, we see that Stephen was one of these men called to wait tables. And while he was waiting tables, God blessed that ministry. Along with him were these other guys named right after him. Men full of the Holy Spirit. Waiting tables full of the Holy Spirit. I love that. And this persecution came, and these men were scattered. Women were scattered. Believers were scattered. They had to run for their lives. But as they went, it said that they preached the gospel wherever they went. And chapter 8 focuses on a person named Philip. He was the second mentioned in the group of the seven with Stephen. And he ran into, while he was preaching, God blessed him. There were miracles he was able to perform Amazing stuff was happening as he preached to the Samaritans. No, don't, whatever you do, don't talk to the Samaritans. They're half-free Jews. Jesus would go talk to Samaritans, but the Jews would take the long way around so they didn't have to go through Samaritan, so Samaria, right? And where did Philip go? He went right to the Samaritans. And he started preaching, and God blessed him. And people were saved. And he ran in... in, in the Holy Spirit had, had, fallen, had not yet fallen upon this group of people, and they called down Peter from the church in Jerusalem to come lay hands on these people, Peter and John, and they laid hands on these people, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Pretty amazing story. 
And there's this guy named Simon, and he was a sorcerer in his former life. He was a magician, and they called him the great power of God. I mean, he captivated people. What he did was amazing, whether it was demonic or whether it was sleight of hand, whatever it was. This guy, too, also became saved in chapter 8. Praise God. He saves all types of people, amen? But we see very quickly in his walk that he was not right in his head, and there's things that he has to straighten out, just as there are with us as we come to Christ and we're new creations. Sometimes we go and we view the things of God like the, the things of men. And what happened is he saw this power. He was, used to be a magician, and he wanted it, and he thought that he could buy it. And so he goes to Peter and John and says, Hey, I want to buy this magic trick for 1995. Send me the box. Yeah. Right? He does the credit card swipe and the whole thing. No, and Peter turns to him and says, hey, your money perished with you thinking that you could buy the gift of God. And this tells us something about God. You can't buy what he gives. The kingdom of man we talked about last week, we operate as mankind operates on a principle of buying and selling. That is what we do. We buy and sell. We buy and sell. We buy and sell. And I wouldn't say there's, there's something wrong with that inherently, but it's not the way God works. How does God work? What principle does he work on? Giving and receiving. Not buying and selling, giving and receiving. You cannot buy salvation. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast and say, I did something to earn it. I could purchase this. You cannot buy the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. It is a gift from God. And here's this guy operating in his old mindset, born again, new believer, saying, let me buy that, thinking he could attain that. And he's like, no, you don't even have a part in this ministry. I want that gift, he said. Give it to me so I can put my hands on people. And Peter, using discernment of the Spirit, he looked at him and said, man, your money perish with you. Pray to God that he doesn't smoke you for that thought that's in your heart. And that tells us something about the way Peter viewed God. Your money perish with you. He said, I, I perceive. You, be, you better go and you better pray to the Lord and ask for him to forgive you because I perceive that you're full of, what, bitterness and you're captive to sin. Full of bitterness and captive to sin. What was he bitter about? Perhaps the power and the attention, the glory was no longer on him. And he was bitter. He used to be the great power of God. And now Philip moved in and the Holy Spirit was there and the attention rightly was being put upon Jesus Christ. And he didn't have that heart of John the Baptist that said, no longer, I, I, should, I should decrease and the Lord should increase. And he was bitter and he was captive to sin, this way of thinking. And so, kingdom of God, it works in a different way. You know, and sometimes the church thinks, we, we as the church, or you'll see it in certain settings within Christendom, you know, so to speak, the church sometimes thinks that they can, they, they can see and experience the power of God by purchasing it. That if we, and, and I, I'm, I'm subject to this too, if, if there can be a certain aesthetic, and then the power of God will come. If we can just have this teaching, or this person, or this blah, 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 and you go down the road, the lights, the band, and all that, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But when they are the pursuit to try to achieve the power of God, you're trying to buy something that is a gift. How do you receive the gifts in the kingdom? How do you receive the blessing of God? How do you receive the Holy Spirit? How do you receive all these things? By grace. How do you, what do you do? You ask. We ask 
father. And that is the relationship that the scripture teaches us. Do you view the Lord as your father, as someone of this tremendous resource, tremendous power, tremendous influence that is eyes on you and is desiring to have that relationship to where you go to him if you don't know something? You don't need to go to the world. You go to him and you ask and he will receive. Now, as parents, raise your hands. Do you always give your kid what they ask for right away? Or do you kind of direct them in what is best for them? Having experienced life a little bit, perhaps? You know, your father loves you so much more than your earthly parents, right? Than we are, right? And he knows how to give good gifts. And he knows the timing and the way and all those types of things that need to, that need to go about in our lives. And so, we should be mindful of this. You know, this doesn't mean that we can't have a nice place to worship and all that stuff, and we should. We, you know, I think we, should, we could make a nice place for people and continue to work on it. And the guys here work on the facility, they're awesome. But I'm just saying that the chief end is, is do we ask the Lord when our well breaks down? Do we ask the Lord when we don't have money? Do we ask the Lord as a church when there's a need in our lives? Do, is that our first thing is, Lord, Father, you see this place? Hey, by the way, you said it was your kingdom, so it's kind of really your problem. We just want to be your servant, so Lord, help. Do you do that in your personal life, your personal finances, your relationships, all these things? Do you run to your Father? Do you run to Him? Do you know that He loves you and He's there for you and He didn't send His Son to die for you and to draw you close to abandon you and to throw you out, but to give you good things? give you good kingdom. And I'm not preaching a health, wealth gospel to where God give me what I want. No, it's his will above ours, right? And sometimes that means suffering. Sometimes that means no. Sometimes that means, no, I have something else for you or deny yourself. That's selfish. Sometimes we ask wrong and he's teaching us how to be like his kids, how to be his kids, have his heart in us. And so this is the experience. This is the school that we're in. And so We've got to be mindful is that the gift of the Spirit, a move of the Spirit in this church, in, 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 in our world, cannot be purchased as a church or as an individual. It is something we receive, we ask for, we seek, and we knock, just as Jesus taught us. And Simon, he repented of this in verse 20 more, uh, 24. Um, it says, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. I love that, that heart. He responds, he goes, yeah, you're right. Pray to the Lord, help me, I'm wrong. And he has that change of heart. And we should respond to the Spirit in this way. So God pours out his Spirit upon this group of believers in Samaria, which is north of Judea, which is north of Jerusalem, right? Dead Sea area. I mean, not Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee area. And verse 25 says, After they further proclaimed the word of the Lord, and test, I'm sorry, after they, meaning the apostles, had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. And so they went ahead and spread the word, just as Jesus said. Verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now Gaza, you've heard it in the news. It's that area between, uh, if you're looking at Jerusalem, it's on the Mediterranean coast on the south uh, west, all the way in that corner next to Egypt. Right there on the, it's just a little tiny strip. Used to be Philistine land. He says, now I want you to go on that road down 
to Gaza, the desert road. And, and Philip was one of the men, as we talked about, who was waiting upon the tables with Stephen. And he is spread, he preaches in he, he has to run for his life. He heads to Samaria. Samaria. He's being used big time by God in Samaria. And if you had to leave a place, and then God begins to bless that in the new place that you're in, God's working through him. He's, there's signs and miracles, and he's preaching the gospel, and multitudes are coming to the Lord through his ministry. Pretty cool stuff. All because of persecution. All because the Lord allowed it in his life. And it would seem like, to me, this is the place to be. Wouldn't it be for you? place where the Lord is using you, where you're blessed, where you're, you're, you're seeing a lot of movement, things happening, blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah. People like you. You're the center of attention, whatever it might be. But the Lord tells him to leave that and go on south. By the way, I don't want you to just go on south on the, on the green, beautiful road. I want you to go on which road? <laughs> Let's go the desert road that leads to Gaza, that's headed towards Egypt. And there were two roads from Jerusalem to Gaza, and the Spirit commands Philip to take one that is seldom used, John MacArthur says. There's two roads. I want you to take the desert road. I don't want you to take the green one, the happy one. The, the, the hap- I want you to take the one with rocks and peril and robbers and all this stuff the one where your life is going to be threatened, basically. I want you to go down that deserted road. You know, quite often the Lord will lead us in a direction that we do not understand, that does not make sense. Any of you there now? Why am I on the desert road, Lord? You know, there's another road right here. Don't you see it? I mean, it's pretty... Are you our God or are you not? You know, we get condescending and... It's like, I got you. I got you. I want you to go on the desert path. I might, it might not seem appealing to us, but God has a purpose. Go on the desert road, down towards Gaza. You know, has God ever taken you away from excitement? Has he ever taken you away from fulfillment where you had attention and value, where you're being used greatly? You feel like you're in a desert road ever? And through circumstances or the Lord speaking to you, you find out yourself being told, I want you to go down this desert path. Sometimes it's not by our choice. And you begin to walk down that road. What do you do? What do you do? I remember when the Lord was calling me out from Calvary Chapel. The Lord brought me out of the world. And he brought me into this ministry. And God had taken this church. And I was a part of just a, a move of the Lord. It was, it was sweet. It was beautiful. I mean, it was precious. Love it. Five years, but the, as, towards the end of it, the church was growing. The worship team, 30 people. I mean like our whole church was on the worship team, right? I mean, there's just amazing stuff happening. And here I am a kid, like, you know how wonderful I am. <laughs> Try to organize all this stuff. And I mean, God was using me big time. I mean, there was, it was just, it was neat. It was exciting using me according to Matt's, you know, vision of use. And it was just awesome. And he said, and, and there, but yet there, at, there's this transition the Lord was calling me away from leading worship, because I think he had another plans for me, desired to, for me to pastor, to teach. And that was a very difficult time in my life, because there was this desire to move in my heart, and yet the reality was, Lord, how am I going to provide for my family? Everybody I've ever known since the Lord is in this church. 
all the relationships, all the people I love. I met my wife there. I mean, God was using me. I traveled around the world with these people, experienced amazing stuff. I mean, I cannot leave this, all I've known. There's no way. This is where God caused my service to him to flourish. Yet my heart, yet in my heart, there was this call from the Holy Spirit to move out and to trust, to trust him. And I didn't. And the Lord had to create circumstances where I got booted out. <laughs> Anyone ever been there? Not like because I did anything wrong. They're just like, hey, I think God's moving you on and see ya. I'm like, okay, well, thanks a lot, you know? And the Lord has his way of doing it. But, you know, I could have taken Route A, but I waited for Route B. I don't want to go down the desert road, Lord. Anybody want to go down the desert road voluntarily? No. Perhaps you, like many of us, like me, stall or rebel or make excuses why you're not, you're not going to begin when God calls you to move. God calls you to do something or step out as the Lord has commanded you. And soon you find that although you have stuff that surrounds you and people and relationships, events, and the like, you're void of meaning and purpose and joy. It just does not satisfy because the one who satisfies you're disconnected from. You've detached yourself from the vine, so to speak. And you're feeling the effects of it in your life. And the Lord is so faithful to reconnect you to the vine. Amen? To reconnect you to the vine. And the Lord is waiting for you, for me, to respond to his call and faith and take up your cross when he asks you to go to the desert road, the hard road, and just say, yes, Lord, I trust you. And sometimes he has to train us in that and teach us in that. And that's what it was for me in that time of my life. He was teaching me how to hear his voice. He was teaching me what that stirring was in my heart to know when I was to go or to stay or when I was to leave. And I, and I realized that I did not want to go through that again. I wanted to stay close. And so when that came up, I would be like, okay, we got to talk. And we began to have that relationship to where we were able to discern together. And, and that's what the Lord desired of me and, and, and of us, is to have that tight relationship. And so the Lord told Philip to head out in verse 27. So Philip, unlike Matt, started to head out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of uh, Kandaki, which means uh, queen of the Ethiopians. And I noticed this, this, it wasn't until he stepped out in faith until the Lord allowed him to begin to see his purpose and what it was called to do. He had to step, and then God showed. That's the way the Lord works. He's calling us to step, and then he'll show. Step and show. That's the way he works in our relationships. He'll give us a word, a, a, a way to go, and we need to step out, and we need to go. Notice that phrase. He started out, and it was on his way. As he was busy about the Lord, as he was busy about his business, as he was just on his way, you know, there was a transition from, I, I eventually went back to leading worship at a different church after that, uh, a different church in the valley. The Lord led me there. And, but he was strongly through that time, he was teaching me how to, I was able to teach and lead worship, but he was calling me out from that to eventually become, come here. And I was leading worship at this church for a few years and the Lord was calling me out. And it got to the place where I had heard that voice before. I knew what it was like and I knew he was calling me out. And so I said to the pastor, I said, the Lord's calling me to go. I don't understand how it works, but I know I need to step out. And so I made plans to step out from that church I said in six months, raised up a worship leader, the whole deal, I'm going to go. Stepped out and 
didn't have much employment, <laughs> had to wait tables, had to give guitar lessons. I forgot what else was going on, Christine, but there was an opportunity at this one church, and the church presented some opportunities, and I stepped out. It was half leading worship, half teaching on the coast, and I was like, okay, well, that seems like the, I can transition eventually to pastoring, blah, 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 and I just started stepping. And it was all on great terms with the church I had just left. It was a good transition, and as I stepped out, the Lord began to, through, through circumstances, show me, no, that's not what you, you really were going for security. Yes, it's right what I've called you to, but you were, you were wanting to have the stability and all these types of things. He's, no, that's not it. And so I had to go wait tables. I had to do a bunch of stuff for a long time. And then, lo and behold, I get a call several months later from the church I left and said, hey, our pastor is taking a church out east. We want you to come interim pastor at our church. The Lord had called me to step out to get this guy to go do what God had called him to do. If this young buck can do it, I can do it. He went out and did that thing, and then they called me back to interim pastor the church that I just had left. The Lord was working, but I had to step out, and I didn't realize, and it felt like a desert road. Where am I? What am I supposed to do? I'm, I'm 30 years old. I'm waiting tables, and I'm giving guitar lessons, and I should blah, blah, blah. I got you, desert path person. I got you. Don't worry. And he used people in circumstances to manna in the wilderness. His goodness never stopped and it has not stopped. And he brought me back to that church where I interim pastored for a year. Another desert path after that. But Philip, as he was on his way, he met an important official, this Ethiopian, much larger than the modern, which is much larger than the modern-day Ethiopia. It was the land where Queen of Sheba came from, who saw the glory of Solomon, uh, Solomon's kingdom and professed faith in, in the God of Israel. Remember that? When Queen of Sheba came to Solomon and she just marveled at his wisdom? That's the same area. So there's this probably descendants uh, from this uh, who kept coming to, who were converts to Judaism. And so this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he's on his way back home to Ethiopia. He's sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet, verse 29. And the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Go to that chariot and stay near it. And so first the Lord tells Philip to go on the desert road, and he obeys. And then the Lord directs him further to pursue this guy on a chariot. And notice how God's leading Philip, church, through persecution through an angel, through circumstances. And as he's on his way, he meets him, right? And by the Spirit, he told him, now I I want you to go next to him. I want you to go alongside, and I want you to stay. I want you to go alongside next to this person, and I want you to stay. You know, there are times in my life when the Lord has told men to come alongside of my life and stay. And it's been a, a tremendous blessing in my life. Hey, I want you to go hang out with that kid and stay with him. And I think it had to be a command for the Lord for them to stay with me. And they still are blessing in my life. And, st- and now I have the privilege to do the same to other people. And, and it's a joy to stay alongside and to, to be used by the Lord and to be blessed. Who's the Lord told you to come alongside and to stay with? And why has he done that? Verse 30, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And this is what you call an open door. Anybody? This is called what you call an open door. God tells you, go on a path, and you go on the path. Then he goes, go next to a person. You go next to a person. And then you see him reading the Bible. 
That's an open door, friends. Just to let you know what one looks like, that's a pretty open door. He's reading his Bible in a chariot, and Philip's like running next to him. I mean, imagine driving your car, and you're like, what's going on? You know, Isaiah on, on, yeah, on, on video or, or on audio Bible. He runs up to him. You know, sometimes the Lord leads, uh, leads us to circumstances that just smack us right in his face, and we know it's him. I enjoy those circumstances. I remember a couple years ago, um, I was at a conference in Seattle. Remember, I went away for that pastor's conference in Seattle a couple years ago. I think I've gone twice. And we were staying in a hotel, and I was in a hotel and getting in an elevator. And I forgot, I went, I went to the thing. I forgot something. It was a great circumstance to where I was frustrated, and the Lord decided to use me. And it was, it was wonderful. And I was like, oh, gosh, got to go back into my room. Went back into my room, got in the elevator with this guy. I was going down. I'm like, so you know me. Hey, how you doing? What you doing here? Oh, I'm working for a carnival. I said, oh, great. And so what carnival? And he's like, well, we travel around. I said, oh, cool. Where are you from? He's all of Southern California. I'm like, okay, great. Where? And I'm like, he's like, oh, well, San Diego. I said, where? <laughs> he's all, oh, well, you wouldn't know. It's like, he's all Escondido. I'm like, that's where, I, that's where we're from. That's where we came here from. I'm like, Escondido. And so I turned to him and I said, you know what? I said, it just so happens <laughs> that I am from Escondido. And it just so happens that I think the Lord put us together in this. Do you know, do you know Jesus? And he's like, yeah. And so I'm away from my family and he's struggling. And I just, it was an opportunity to encourage him in the Lord. Why would God do that? Because he gets a kick out of it. He loves it. He gets to show me that he is God and he gets to bless this guy. What are the odds? 100,000%. I mean, they're just there. Absolutely. In an elevator, right? I mean, there's nothing that God cannot do. And he ran along this, this guy. And he was right from where I was from. And so Philip, he runs up beside this chariot and, he, and talk about obedience. And he sees this guy reading the scroll of Isaiah. And Philip says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? That's a great question. Don't assume people know. I mean, you don't have to be pompous about it. But he's like, hey, do you, do you, what, you know, what you're reading? What's going on? Do you know what you're reading there? He probably had a real puzzled look on his face reading the scroll, sorry. You know? And so, verse 31, this is very important. What does he say? He says, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So he's no longer sitting, he's no longer running alongside of him. He's sitting with him. He's fellowshipping with him. He's developing a relationship with him. He's talking to him. And brother, sister, this is often how God works. <clears throat> we'll be going about our day and we'll run into someone and God desires that we go alongside of them. I remember driving home. I've shared this with you before. I think I was driving home from church and I desired to have a Slurpee. I don't know why. <laughs> Confessional. I desired to have a Slurpee at 11 o'clock at night. And so I pulled into 7-Eleven, went and had my Slurpee. And there, as I was going in, I think there was a guy coming out or the other way around. And I just, the Lord just said, talk to this guy. And I just waited outside for him. He came out and he was out of his mind. And so I talked to him for a long time. And he was talking about God, like to the 10th power. It was really strange. I mean, he was on something and I talked to him and there was stuff going on, but I, sh- I ministered to him for a while. There was opportunity, just being faithful to the, uh, and I just walked away feeling like, okay, whatever, Lord. <clears throat> this is during all those times where I'm away from Calvary. I'm in another church. Then I go back to lead worship at Calvary like a year later or two years later or something like that. I think it was a year later. 
And here's this guy sitting in the, in the middle of the row. And he comes up to me after service and says, hey, do you remember me? In his right mind. And saying, you talked to me and God's done this and this and this. And, you know, I mean, it's like, whoa, you were doing something and, and you just said, hey, go up alongside that guy. And I just got to be a part of that blessing of the Lord uh, working in his life. I didn't know he went there or, or how that worked out. And it was just neat to see. But this guy was saying, hey, how can I understand this unless someone, someone explains it to me? I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And you'll have these opportunities in your life to come alongside someone and sit with them and talk with them about life and the Lord. Be ready, be looking, be willing, and God will. You hear me? Be ready, be willing, and God will. Be looking for those opportunities. God will do it. He'll create it. We just got to have that hunger. I mean, ask him for it. He'll supernaturally guide you to people that need, that need Christ in you. This is not something like, you know, we're going to have an hour of power meeting. You know, I mean, it's just life. It's happening supernaturally every day. You're running into them, your neighbors, their people, and they see Christ in you, and they're hungering and thirsting, and then he begins to awaken them to the reality that Jesus is king, and they need the Savior, and they need his power, and something's got to change, and the Holy Spirit quickens this in their hearts, and they realize, I need God. Not this person, it's the Lord, and that's what we do is we direct them. Do you realize what you're reading? God's stirring something in their heart, stirring something in about Jesus, the Messiah. How can I understand? You know, Paul would later write in his, his letter to the Romans in chapter 10. He says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love that verse. Then verse 14 goes on right after that. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But verse 14 in chapter 10. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Someone coming alongside of them and sitting with them and explaining to them. 15, verse 15 says, And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And that is what the church is about. We're about the good news. And you are sent to go into all the world. That means go into your work. It goes into your family. Wherever you are, you are called by the Lord. You are sent now into the world to go proclaim his gospel, to preach his gospel, to come alongside people as the Lord creates these circumstances by his spirit and to be that salt and that light. How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And this guy is seeking God and he needs help. You know, and this is part of the role of the elders of the church. This is the, definitely the, the role that I'm, I am called to. You know, the Lord gave me this, this verse through Christine and, and through some other things, but until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. That's not limited to Sundays. We're called all to this. And that's not limited to Sundays. That is our life. You know, at work, on an airplane. Do you know how many times I've had a captive audience in an airplane, these poor people? I mean, I, I, when Christine and I, went, right before we were married, I decided to go to Israel, which is really wonderful, in the middle of Intifada. Remember that? That was a good time, 2000, uh, 2000 something, uprising 2001, somewhere in there. And, um, you know, I, I, I decided to go late with the group, so I, we... We all went together, but I had to come back alone. 
So I'm like, surely, God, you got me on an airplane alone. We're all going down. You know, I mean, it's just like, you know, I mean, just like, Lord, help me. Uh, but I had to fly from uh, Jerusalem, uh, you know, Tel Aviv to Brussels, from Brussels to Chicago, from Chicago to, you know, L.A. And I tell you what, the whole time I was in the back on the long flights just standing there and people just come up one after another so and they just be talking about a book. I walk into circumstances where people are talking about God, and I was just like, you got to be kidding me. And it was hand-delivered over and over and over to where the Lord is just like, here you go. Have fun. Just through life, through circumstances, you know, airplanes. I have a friend named Bob. He's a CEO of a company, and, and uh, it was not a CEO of a company. He's, he's on a board, and he talks, works with Fortune 500 companies and all this type of stuff. And he gets in boardrooms with these guys, and he'll talk to presidents uh, of companies who have, you know, who are, have, who are very high stress and all these situations. And then they start talking about their family, and he starts talking about their kids, and the guy breaks down, and he leads them to the Lord. You know, I mean, there's just opportunities wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, the Lord desires to use us. And this guy, uh, Philip, ran alongside of this, this very important man in this administration, official from Egypt, and he was reading, and the passage said, uh, verse 32, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before it shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. This is what he was reading out of Isaiah. In verse 33, it says, in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Another open door, friends. And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. He started right where he was and told him about Jesus. And this is our call as people of God, is to know Jesus of the Bible. That you can open to any verse and see Jesus on every page. For what did Jesus say? And you study the scriptures and you think that in them they have eternal life, but they are which testify of me. From Genesis to Revelation, every single page, every single verse, maybe how, how obscure or whatever, has something to do with Jesus Christ. The law, the prophets, the Psalms, uh, apocalyptic. No matter what genre of literature you're in, it points to Jesus Christ from the beginning to the end. It points to Him. It points to the glory of God, the, the plan of salvation, His mercy, His love, His justice, His wrath, all these types of things. It points to who God is, and He's crying out to mankind to come to Him over the ages. This is the story of Jesus, and so He opened up the Scripture and said, obviously that Lamb was Jesus Christ, the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And Philip preached Jesus right there in the car with this guy. And how did the Ethiopian respond? Verse 36. <clears throat> As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And Philip said, and in our V people, we've got a problem. Verse 37 is missing, isn't it? Yeah, that's why I call it the nearly inspired version. <clears throat> <laughs> it's not. Look in your footnotes. King James, all the other ASVs. Anyways, we can get into that debate. But it says, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and baptized him. He asked, hey, what can stand in the way of being baptized? 
a lot stands in the way of people being baptized because if you look, approach it from it is a, some religious thing and then all of a sudden I'm right with God, we've got it all wrong. All wrong. People often ask me to baptize them and the only thing that I'm looking for is whether or not they have put their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have they put their faith in the Son of God? This is the only thing that stands in the way of someone being baptized. Baptism, as Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 21 through 22, it says, And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, not an outward thing, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authority, and powers in submission to him. The water does not save, but it points to the reality of what is happening in your heart, what happens in a person's heart when they have given their heart to the Lord. The reality is what happened in the Spirit is expressed in the waters of baptism. Our sins are gone, washed away, not by the water, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. We now have a clear conscience toward God. We're no longer guilty, amen? Praise the Lord. And it, pict- and it pictures the reality of being immersed with Christ. He died, and now our old self dies, nailed to the cross. Jesus rose again, so we rise too in the newness of life by the Spirit. And at the resurrection, we, like Jesus had a new body, we will also be resurrected to have a body like his. That is not the promise for those who are not born of the Spirit. Their promise is judgment. You see, baptism is that picture of the reality of being immersed in Christ, united with Christ through faith. And when that has become a reality, when that transaction has gone on between you and the Father, when you have been saved and born again, there's nothing that separates us from being baptized. I mean, you teach that they are one and the same, and I know there can be this, this theological discussion of the role of baptism. It can be expression of faith. I see these things. But there is nothing that separates you from baptism Baptism is the proper way to express that reality. We are called to it. If you've not been baptized, I encourage you to have that dialogue and that conversation. Perhaps you're like this Ethiopian guy who says, I don't understand. Can, can you help me? Yes. Yes. Love to come alongside with you. Talk to you about that. Help you out. Because it means everything in the world. I point you to the Father who loved you. And Philip baptized this man right then. You notice he wasn't a baby. Did you notice that? It wasn't a baby. Okay. Did, have you, did you see ever in the scriptures anyone who is baptized as an infant? No. No. Everybody who is baptized in scripture, they knew what was going on. They didn't necessarily have all the theological nuts and bolts worked out, right? But there was an expression of faith in their heart. And that is why it's dangerous to say that because you've been baptized, you're saved. You can very well be baptized in water thinking you've been washed by dirt. You know, though dirt is washed away, it's an outward thing. When in reality, you've never had the baptism of the Spirit. You've never been immersed in Christ, so to speak. Babies can't do that. They don't think that. They don't know that. So if you are one of those people who says, well, I've been baptized. Have you been baptized as a believing a person, little kid. I was baptized when I was seven. I knew what was going on. I didn't understand all the theological things, but I knew that Jesus had saved me and I was his. And when I went down that water and I came up, something happened. My, my spirit was, I can't, I don't know. I was filled with his Holy Spirit at seven years old. It was beautiful. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Wow, he was translated, he was moved. 
beam me over. That's what happened. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. And this is what the Spirit of God does to a person. He brings joy. He brings joy. How is the joy factor in your life? How's the joy factor? (laughs) Right? Not based on circumstances, right? But based on the God of the circumstances. That is who we are rooted and grounded in. Philip was translated. And it says about Philip, just to let us know, Philip, however, appeared at Azaltus and uh, traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Philip is a great example of someone just used by the Lord. God desires to use you wherever you are. Has he asked you to step out and to do something are you scared about the desert road? Are you scared about the consequences or what it might be? I would ask you this morning to, if the Lord's spoken, you don't need to pray about it. You need to step. You need to step. And he'll continue to give you what you need to know as you step out in faith. He's got you, crazy desert person. He's got you. He loves you. And he wants to use you to impact the darkness. You are a city upon a hill. You are a city upon a hill. You are not a light under a bed. You are a light where everybody can see. Don't let Satan it out. You know what I'm saying? Go out there and shine the light of Jesus. Step out. Amen? Lord God, we pray this morning that as your church experiences persecution in various forms, Lord, from within and from without, as we face opposition to the mission, why we're here, to bring you glory. That is why we are here. Not for self-gratification, not to achieve our goals and dreams, but to achieve yours. And Lord, as we do that, as we seek you, as we pray to you, as we praise you, as we go about and experience the joy of this life and the sufferings and all these things, Lord, we ask that you would lead us by your Spirit. And if our brothers and sisters are in hard times this morning, I pray they'd be comforted by this this passage, that there is purpose. And I pray for the brothers and sisters who are saying no to you this morning. I pray that you would uh, divinely move them, either by booting them out of the nest or, (laughs) or whatever it is you need to do. Just encourage them, Lord, to step out and begin to open up areas of fruitfulness in our lives, proof that you are alive and you are kicking right now here in Walla Walla in Christ Community Fellowship. Open the doors, Father. Open the doors. There are people in cars needing, who are driving around. There are people at our work. There are people in our families who are saying, I don't know. I don't need to know. And all these types of things. And Lord, just let us be salt and light, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. Bless this church and encourage them. And I thank you for those who are continually being faithful in this church to do that. Bless them and encourage them this week that they'd have much fruit for your glory. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.